This is Leading Lines. I'm Derek Bruff. Back in college, I had the great fortune to go on not one, but two study abroad experiences. My junior year, I participated in the Budapest Semesters in Mathematics program, spending the semester in Hungary with 45 other American students, learning mathematics and exploring Eastern Europe. I enjoyed that experience so much that when I got back to campus, I signed up for my university's semester abroad in England for my senior year. I took courses on the history of London, place and poetry and theater, all while exploring Western Europe as best as I could on a limited budget. Back in the late 90s, the U.S. dollar went a lot further in Hungary than it did in the U.K. These were transformative experiences for me, not only increasing my confidence as a functioning adult in the world, but also helping me see my own culture with fresh eyes. I realized that there were lots of ways to be in the world, not just the ways I was used to growing up. Study abroad can be a fantastic experience, but it's not something every student can do. There are, however, ways we can help students have these kinds of intercultural experiences without flying them to another continent. On today's episode of Leading Lines, producer and colleague Stacy Johnson brings us an interview about virtual exchanges that is, connecting students across cultures through technology. Stacy and our Vanderbilt colleague, Shalene Helmuth, Principal Senior Lecturer in Spanish, speak with two guests with extensive experience with virtual exchanges. Brianna Johnson-Sanchez is Assistant Professor of Practice in Languages, Cultures, and International Studies and Coordinator of Teacher Education at Southern Illinois University. And Nancy Ruther is principal and founder of Gazelle International, a nonprofit that partners with higher education institutions to produce globally capable graduates. Nancy's work at Gazelle follows almost 30 years as associate director of the Macmillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale University. In the interview, Stacy and Shalene talk to our guests about different models of virtual exchanges, the kinds of support and scaffolding to support virtual exchanges, and the impact virtual exchanges can have on both students and teachers. I'm Stacey Johnson, and on this episode of Leading Lines, I'm excited to get to talk about virtual exchange with three experts in different areas. The first person I want to introduce is my colleague here at Vanderbilt and a principal senior lecturer of Spanish-Portuguese, Shalene Helmuth. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Thank you so much for your invitation. So you're going to be a co-interviewer with me today, but I know there's also going to be opportunities for you to bring in your knowledge as someone who is actually engaged in virtual exchange in your classes and is currently in this work. So um, can't wait to hear from you. And then our two guest experts that we're interviewing, um, the first is Brianna Jansen Sanchez, who is Assistant Professor of Practice and Coordinator of Teacher Education in World Languages at Southern Illinois University. Brianna's doctoral research at the University of Iowa was on virtual exchange, and she's continued to be active in this area since then. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to talking with you all. And our second guest expert today is Nancy Ruther, who after 28 years of building faculty-led internationalization programs at Yale University, is the founder of Gazelle International, a nonprofit organization 
focused on increasing access to high quality international education through virtual exchange. Nancy, thank you so much for taking the time for this interview today. Well, you're most welcome. And I appreciate the invitation. And para todo el mundo español, muy, buen, muy buenas tardes. Y boa tarde también para, para los brasileños. That's amazing. Uh, we do actually have an international audience for this podcast. So I'm so excited that you're bringing them into the fold. And Shalene and I are both in the Department of Spanish and Portuguese. That made me feel welcome. Thank you. <laughs> um, so the first question, I think the obvious question is, what exactly is virtual exchange? For those who haven't heard of it before, what does that mean? Let me start. It's Nancy. Connecting classrooms across countries is the simplest definition. Yeah, I agree. Um, the one I, I go with would be very similar. So technology-based intercultural exchange with students in classrooms in different geographical locations. And the reason I say students in classrooms is because a lot of times we assume a classroom-to-classroom -classroom model. But um, I also see virtual exchange as individual-to-class, class-to-class, and student-to-student as some models that may come up when you're looking at the research and practice in this area. Yes, indeed. The, in the way we've been working on it, we think of two teachers connecting four credit courses, which not everything is, using the technology to enable their students to work collaboratively to create a final project that fulfills the curriculum goals on both sides. Um, and while they're doing that, they're developing cross-cultural skills, teamwork, problem solving, and greater confidence in their path, hopefully, and success in a truly global world and one that uses technology everywhere. I mean, we're using telecollaboration right now to record this podcast episode, so it really is a very real-world skill. And this is actually not a model that I understood before this interview. I imagine virtual exchange is always two students collaborating outside of the regular class time because that's what I have seen happen in, in language programs. Can you explain more? I can't visualize what that would be like. How would two entire classes collaborate? I think the models are just so diverse that fit under the definition. And one thing that Nancy mentioned that's fascinating is the end goal, would that be just having a culturally immersive experience? Is that establishing an intercultural dialogue? Is that collaborating on a task? Is that creating something, project-based collaboration? And so that could be where you would see that class to class. They're collaborating together on what is a final product. And that not only is an intercultural exchange, but it's growing in digital literacies as well, collaborative digital literacies. Exactly. And so I like to think of this as the there's a whole range of virtual exchanges, as you said, language students conversing with a peer who's a native in that language, exchanging English with the other language or the two languages, whatever they are. And I kind of see for the purposes of Gazelle and creating greater access to high quality international education. Study abroad is a great thing for those cross-cultural skills and lots of other global skills. But it's 
it never reaches more than 10% of all US graduates, and maybe in Europe it's up to 12 or 15%. So in terms of a business model for reaching students, it doesn't work and probably never will. But if you can get it into the curriculum, cross-cultural skills into the curriculum where every student, by paying their registration fees, has access to a connected classroom, that's focused on all of these skills, then all of a sudden you have much more potential to reach many more students and an on-ramp to study abroad or other things internationally, globally, cross-culturally, and hopefully linguistically, not just English. Absolutely. And one thing that I've looked at, especially with study, talking about study abroad coming off of Nancy, is uh, what are these high-impact teaching practices and study abroad, of course, or learning experiences, and study abroad, of course, is one of those. But uh, over the last several years, virtual exchange is definitely identified as a high-impact teaching practice. Right. You asked, how does it actually work? So we've created, we worked with the University of Virginia Teaching and Learning Center. We had our own uh, curriculum for professional development for teachers. Teachers don't usually like to call it training. They're already trained. But to get them ready for this whole new way of teaching, um, because it's experiential with the students um, and it's collaborative and most teachers are solo in their classroom, right? So here you're asked, you, we have a system where teach, we bring teachers in to explore how it will work. And then we do literally a matching set of workshops where they think about the goals for their courses, where the other teachers' course goals would intersect, shed light on, put a new lens on how their field works. And then they do, we do a speed dating session where the teachers figure out who out of these couple of days they would really like to work with. They, and then they identify, they rank order, and then Usually they get their first or second choice. And then we go through a, a series of design workshops and walk them through kind of the experience their students will be going through of collaborating across time zones, using technology to design the actual course they're going to connect for their students, the learning activities, the assessment, the grades, and all the rest of it. So by the end of those workshops, they're ready well, as ready as anybody is to start a new course. And then we have, we found that looking at the world of this class to class virtual exchange, one of the things that teachers needed most was support for that first time through it. And so we added that in. And assessment was the other thing that was missing on a systematic basis. So we added that around the three goals I've been talking about. 21st century, team and technology, and intercultural goals, and workforce, frankly, confidence in ability to succeed in the global workforce. And we've seen that increase with our students. I think it's so interesting hearing about the model that you have in place to support teachers and learners incorporating these projects, because a lot of the experience that I have are with teachers going in this alone. Right. And as you know, and you found out through your work that that's really tough. Um, 
the rewards are absolutely can be there, but the process is very difficult. And so I think having having teachers who are who are wanting to do this and excited about it, and also having people like Nancy and your group that have prepared this type of model with a lot of work and a lot of resources and a lot of time um, to kind of merge those worlds and see see how we can make this easier for for everyone. Well, and if you want teachers to repeat, right, which is where you start to get the impact. So if you have a pair of teachers who wants to do this, and we've done it with a two-to-one or a two-to-two model too, where you're co-teaching on each side, um, then you really want them to repeat. So another cohort of students and another cohort of students, and that's how it can grow fast in terms of student access, which is the ultimate goal. So I see just from the conversation we've had so far that we're talking about several different issues. There's the idea of like recruiting, training, supporting, but then retaining and and creating capacity within the institution to do this as a wider project. So let's start at the beginning and sort of unpack some of these concepts. And to start, I would say, as a language teacher myself, I understand why language teachers are interested in virtual exchange because we're always looking to find ways to connect our students with people who speak the language we're teaching. Um, but I know there are really compelling reasons why teachers in other disciplines should also consider virtual exchange. So in, with the teachers that you work with, and Brianna, maybe you can start because I know you work in teacher education and you have a really specific perspective there. Why should teacher candidates do virtual exchange? That's a great question. And, and of course, I'm coming energized out of a conference um, for the Association of Teacher Educators, where the conference theme was preparing educators for an uncertain future, specifically preparing anti-fragile educators. And that's sort of a new term that, that people are trying to define. And the keynote, who was Deborah Ball from the University of Michigan, um, had had a very comprehensive definition, but the ones that I the pieces of this I want to focus on are um, educators who welcome dialogue with people with different backgrounds, identities, and experiences, and those who seek to expand worldview through authentic relationships. And so, what we see in teacher education is that our student body, in terms of diversity, doesn't match what we see in our teachers. So how we can how we can bring more diverse teachers in, but also how we can prepare the ones that we have to be more anti-fragile. So to be able to know more about other cultures, to be accepting and open-minded about dialoguing with people from different backgrounds, different languages, different identities, and um, cultures. So virtual exchange in terms of teacher education can be very impactful for preparing our educators to, to be more accepting and more adaptable to the students and the experiences that they have in their classes. And also that's very much related to teacher retention. So if teachers in their first few years are having experiences that are difficult that they've never seen before, cultural misunderstandings, language concerns of their students and their ability to adapt to these situations, they leave the profession. And so preparing teachers in this way can help with retention of teachers as well, which is a huge problem across the United States. Yeah, I think now more than ever, I mean, the, the, the numbers of teachers, especially early career teachers who are leaving the profession just now is really shocking. 
I love this more experiential approach to preparing people for the realities of the classroom. Nancy, I know you work with people across disciplines in the university. So what are some of the reasons um, that the institutions you work with are choosing virtual exchange? What are the benefits for them? Well, let me, let me first start with, so for the teachers themselves, right? Um, I have two quotes from teachers, both in France, it turns out, but they, when I, when they say these two little quotes for their colleagues in the U.S. or elsewhere, it, they say the same thing. So it gives meaning to what we teach. It made me remember why I started teaching in the first place. And she was referring to the authentic exchange that her students engage in, right? Watching them kind of break their stereotypes because this is their peer was just really powerful her, for her. And she works with engineers. She teaches English for engineers, okay? And she was working with an art teacher in her first class. The first connected class was art and engineers, the creatives and the analytics and trying to figure out why color matters in your life. And then the other, again, an English teacher in France uh, who works with biology students in biology, different kinds of biology teachers. So he said the whole project allowed him to find a concrete footing for virtual exchange. He had tried it before different ways, and he just found that this, this method seemed to work. And he said, it does not require a complete overhaul of individual teaching processes while bringing in some fresh air to years old practice. Those are pretty powerful motivators. The other thing that we found through COVID, we found some teachers had to stop. They were ready to repeat and they had to stop because they had larger responsibilities, getting adjuncts up to speed on remote teaching, those kinds of things. The teachers that stayed said that the socio-emotional support was so worth it as their, they, they observed their students who were now sitting in tiny little rooms or in their brother's bedroom or whatever. And it made a big difference to the students in that first terrible six months of COVID lockdowns. And the other thing the teachers have said is problem solving kind of shifting to a coaching mode of teaching leading the students to learn themselves how to develop these skills they started they always start out talking about group work yeah we do group work in our classes and when they got to this this project based model of knowing what you want your what would that ideal project at the end look like for both of our classes that would be great and then figuring out how to let your students get there, help them with it, was really powerful. Drawing students into learning. So those are some of the responses we've gotten in our faculty assessments that we do after each project. Shalene, I don't know if this is a place where you want to chime in, but I know that you had even a different motivation for the virtual exchange project that you've done you know, my mind's been going as our colleagues have been uh, helping us understand what virtual exchange is in a much broader context than my experience, and I appreciate that very much. But I think 
my interest in virtual exchange started with, you know, observations I'd made over the years when I would ask a student, your Spanish is really good. What were the circumstances in which you developed it? Have you studied abroad? I stopped asking that pretty soon because those students who had not studied abroad but whose Spanish was still quite strong, invariably they cited some kind of virtual exchange that they had drummed up a pen pal, they used to call them, but <laughs> on the Internet. Uh, so this is, you know, within the last what, 10 years. But repeatedly that happened, and I, I started to pay attention, you know, as someone who's directed study abroad programs for over 20 years, that had been, or you know, often is kind of the... Um, the golden standard, you, what you hope your students can experience, but the fact is that is not always uh, available to a lot of our students anyway. So as a kind of a backdrop, I knew that students on their own largely had been seeking out these opportunities for conversation exchanges with native speakers, and the results were amazing not just linguistically, but also in terms of uh, an attitudinal openness and eagerness for understanding uh, others and also a willingness to engage. So all the things that we want. I think this is a good on-ramp to our next question, actually. What I've heard Shelley say is that this is a really positive experience for the students who are involved, but there's probably like an element because the way that we're doing it is building it from the ground up without a, a clear model in mind. And there's probably an element of teacher preparation and student preparation that would improve the project and maybe get students and teachers on board earlier. And so I'm wondering, Brianna and Nancy, if y'all would mind speaking a little bit to what teacher and student preparation looks like. Yeah, I know that Nancy will have so much to say, so I'll just give a little blurb. So one thing that I've done is I teach at Southern Oregon University for their Summer Language Institute for students pursuing in-service teachers pursuing a Master's of Arts in Spanish teaching. And just two summers ago, I think it was, I offered an entire course on intercultural communication with technology, and the focus was clearly virtual exchange. And so the model that we went through was we read research, we watched webinars, all the all the, the most recent research that's going on. But at the same time, we had students who are teachers, so the teachers, designing a an entire virtual exchange model or project from start to finish. And start doesn't mean, okay, let's get connected. Start means how are we going to prepare ourselves as teachers and how are we going to prepare our students? Then what are they going to do? How are we going to assess and how are we going to reflect on, on the process? And so part of that reflection piece was having the students actually implement their entire project with another student in the class. And so to take what they learned from that, make modifications. And sometimes it was just logistical things. And sometimes it was more of a big part of the process, how you felt when I asked you that question. Um, how did it feel when you had to try to do this with somebody virtually? And then they could make modifications and come back around to it. So it really takes a lot more than, I have a great idea, I want my students to connect, connect, let's go, we're done. It, it's much more than that. And I know, again, Nancy has probably a lot to say about that model as well. 
Yeah, well, thank you. That's that's true, but you're you're right. That's the best way to have a group of teachers working together so they already start collaborating in some way that it's not a solo exercise, yeah? And having them practice, right? And talk amongst themselves, that kind of thing. So they they're getting the kind of feedback and emphasizing the need for feedback. Yeah, what we've found is teachers by and large, are motivated by what they hope their students will learn. You know, expose them to the wider world, realize how much there is to learn and love in the wider world. So that's kind of the focus that that we stick with. But we use a goals-based training model. So, And so we start by talking about what the goals are for virtual exchange, right? The cross-cultural, yes. But the way we do it, it's a classroom to classroom, two, four credit courses connected, thinking about the meta goals, as we call them, what do you want, what can your students achieve? So kind of self-confidence, they're working in the world is one, broader cross-cultural skills, and then this cluster of 21st century skills, working in teams, technology, communicating are the three basic meta goals for every virtual exchange. And there are faculty goals too, around pedagogy, And how do you work in a collaborative environment around being able to bring your students into this world of cross-cultural team technology? And hopefully most campuses do it because they also want their teachers ready and willing to do more international projects, right? So we're very explicit about those are the goals we see. And then when they come together and then they've found ways that their classes intersect or provide this interesting new lens on, wow, I hadn't thought about it. I teach logistics, how trucks move things around the world. You teach communications. That's a great perspective for my students to think about moving trucks around the world and communicating what you need to move trucks around the world. So I can work with you. So what are your shared goals for this course you can do together? And they've already started thinking about it. And then what would that final project look like that your students would produce together? Not competing, not Mexico versus U.S., but together. They start thinking about what that final project will look like. That's their ultimate goal for the students. And then backward design, right? What learning activities, what resources do you have? And it kind of starts with the teacher perspective. What resources, how would you do this? How would you do that? And then, of course, you scaffold learning activities in, but the very first thing you have to think about when you're shifting to student view, how are the students going to see this? What are we going to tell the students? You need to get back to the team and trust building because that won't happen automatically just because you put a bunch of students in a room. If you want them to work in a team They kind of like we did with the teachers initially, they kind of have to know each other. They have to build some trust. They have to decide, oh, I like that. I can work with you. And so we need to start with team building, not just icebreakers. A simple icebreaker is never enough. Build up. So there's kind of three stages. There's team building, trust building with the students, some intermediate activities that let them do some simple work together using the technology, working with their peers, and you can evaluate it. You can say they did a great job. Oh, a little not so good here. Let's, we need to give you another resource. We need to do something else. 
and checking in on the cross-cultural pieces to help them learn the difference between cross-cultural and just personality or bad time management. And then kind of the final push to developing that final project. And again, check-ins, even something as simple as the little airport smiley, smiley face. How's your team doing this week, right? So that's, that's kind of the process, the three big pieces in developing a virtual exchange project, starting with backward design to get everybody to the goal. That's fantastic. Thank you both. I'm sorry to push the conversation along because I know that we could chat a lot longer on this topic, but Shalene, you had one question about assessment. Sure, absolutely. Uh, thank you. So uh, Lee and Sorrow in their 2021 article called Assessing Language Learning in Virtual Exchange, Suggestions from the Field of Language Assessment, uh, provides some really interesting uh, context, I think. <clears throat> We've heard a lot of people, even in the literature, uh, mention that student-reported outcomes are important. Uh, and certainly I agree, you know, for no other reason than it concentrates and focuses and, you know, lends intentionality to the student's participation in a virtual exchange. For sure, there's a lot of merit to that. But beyond that, what are some of the ways that we can assess the outcomes of, in both language and cultural competence, uh, that we can cite and, and, you know, show to our maybe more skeptical colleagues that this is worth the, the trouble? This relates a little bit to what Nancy talked about before in terms of the students getting to know each other. Um, in my doctoral research, I was looking at the social dynamics of interaction in these contexts. And this particular context that I was looking at was tandem. So tandem is when um, half the students are speaking half the time in their native language, and then half the time they're speaking in the target language, and then they switch. And so, of course, we, we might perceive the goal or what needs to be assessed is language learning and the task is finishing the discussion of a particular topic. Um, and students are playing these roles of native speaker and learner. But what I found in the argument that I made is that that is not how the, the participants perceive it at all. And so what they are really looking at is not being a learner and not being a native speaker and being a friend. And so sometimes for me, I, I tend to want to back off of the assessment or to take a more holistic approach based on the findings of my research. But I know there are many models that are successful looking at all kinds of different areas of assessment. So I'll let Nancy take away. Yeah, so we do kind of the mechanics of it. We do a pre and a post assessment around those same, the set of basic medicals for student learning, right? Cross Cross-cultural, yes. Um, the 21st century team and technology working together and then kind of the workforce or readiness to work in the world, not just workforce, but it could be, you know, thinking bigger about where you might transfer, what you might do later in life, kind of op opening, widening your worldview. And so we ask it at two different levels. We do kind of the big picture questions and then we ask about teamwork, you know, how I'm com I'm very comfortable with technology. I'm a problem solver with, you know, kind of that personal preparation questions. And just the pre and post, we, we learn a lot. So uh, we learn a lot that way. 
and we build it into the training to help the teachers come back and address issues in in the virtual exchange classroom. The article that I gave you that we just came out with in the Journal of Virtual Exchange goes through it in a great in great detail. The backward design model and collaborative and experiential teaching. Uh, it's based on that, but it's more how we use the data in the training and teacher and course development, that it really has its power. And then linking it back to campus goals so that you could attach that cross-cultural change or worldview questions to campus goals for diversifying your curriculum, greater communication skills or those kinds of things is really where the power of that kind of systematic pre-post assessment comes in. Trying to stack it so that the levels are related. It's kind of the teach, you've got campus-wide or larger goals that are disaggregated for the teachers and the teacher training that are disaggregated down into their learning activities and very specific learning objectives. They're all tied to these big components is where you get the power to feedback across levels. The ability to tie that into our specific institutional and departmental and individual classroom needs is so open that it could work for anybody. But the one thing I wanted to mention when we talk about larger goals, I'm doing some current research and communities of practice in a world language methods course that combines students from different contexts and, and cultures. And what I'm trying to really figure out is how my research informs world language teaching, world language teacher education, teacher education, and overall institutional goals. And the one thing that I've really hit on and I've been reading a lot about is the internationalization of our campus. And so how we can sort of bring our research to that top level of internationalizing our student body, our student teacher educators, our world language teacher educators, and our, and our language teachers. And so how that sort of like Nancy was saying, starts up and goes down. And so that's sort of the big, the big thing that I've been seeing, that how can we move virtual exchange into that goal? And it fits really well. Absolutely. I appreciate that perspective. And it also, you know, highlights something Nancy talked about before as well. When you want to involve content-based uh, exchanges, that's interesting to me and an institutional perspective where you as one person within an institutional context and want to uh, extend that benefit of the virtual exchange and that that would reach um, a wider group of people, make it a practice that we do regularly uh, and that transcends, so to speak, your discipline, I mean necessarily, creating those opportunities for, for people to be involved with that way. I am unbelievably grateful for this fantastic conversation. I genuinely believe that it's going to inform the work that we're doing, the work in the department, but also um, our ongoing institutional goals. And I think our listeners are going to hear very new, exciting ideas. And I'm hoping that if podcast listeners run with these ideas in their own institutions, that they will let us know what they're doing. And we're going to put some contact information for everyone who is here today in the show notes. We referenced some of the literature on virtual exchange. We'll also put references in the show notes for anyone who's listening. But I just want to say thank you so much for taking time to do this today. It was truly enlightening.
Thank you for reaching out. I am so excited to talk about this. I could talk about it all day long. Well, and thank, thank you, Stacy. It's been a real pleasure. I'm delighted to meet you all. And since we do have the international audience, ha sido un placer, completamente mi placer. Y es un placer conversar con la gente hoy. Brasileiros, portugués, hoy. Awesome. Ah, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Pleasure meeting you. Thank you. That was Brianna Johnson Sanchez, Assistant Professor of Practice in Languages, Cultures, and International Studies at Southern Illinois University, and Nancy Ruther, Principal and Founder of Gazelle International. Thanks to both of them for sharing about virtual exchanges, and thanks to Leading Lines producer and Center for Teaching Assistant Director for Educational Technology, Stacy Johnson, for bringing us this interview. I appreciate how some of the virtual exchange models Brianna and Nancy talked about involved students collaborating across classrooms on projects. It sounds a bit like the students as producers approach we often advocate here at the Vanderbilt Center for Teaching, engaging students not only as consumers of information, but producers of knowledge. The fact that the student teams come from different cultures and speak different languages adds to the challenge of this teaching approach, but also to its impact. I'm reminded of one of the examples I wrote about in my book, Intentional Tech, in which a film production professor teamed up with an English professor at another institution to bring their students together. He wanted his students to have an authentic audience for the short films they were producing, and she wanted her students to be able to interact with the creators of the media that they were critiquing. By bringing the students together through a shared course blog and a few Skype sessions, what they call a course exchange, both sets of students benefited. Connecting students with authentic audiences for their work through exchanges like these can motivate students toward deeper learning. Leading Lines is produced by the Vanderbilt Center for Teaching and the Gene and Alexander Hurd Libraries. You can find us on Twitter at Leading Lines Pod and on our website. This episode was edited by the Center for Teaching Digital Media Services team, Seth Shepard and Tracy Davis. We're going to take a short break over the summer, but look for some new episodes this fall. I'm your host, Derek Bruff. Thanks for listening and be safe.